Let's uh, begin this morning by standing together and let's read a text of Scripture in unison. Would you stand with me one more time? And we will read 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11 through 11 together. And then I'll pray. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, this morning we endeavor to begin a series that is very important for our edification, for our equipping, so that we may honor You with our lives and our words, so that we may uphold Your Word as the supreme source of truth, and so that we may effectively communicate that truth and the Gospel of Jesus Christ to our community, to our friends, to even our family, co-workers, others that You would bring into our path. Father, we want to be changed in our thinking, in our hearts, in our desires. We want to bear the fruit of the Spirit in all that we do. We want to honor Jesus Christ, our great and merciful Savior. And we ask that all that is done would be in honor and glory to Him. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. This morning, we are beginning a series of sermons on the Bible and homosexuality. And I want to lay out a bit of the plan for you that I have over the next few months so that you kind of can anticipate where we're going and, and how we're going to be working through this. I have six sermons planned on the Bible and homosexuality. And then we're going to take a break and go back to First Timothy together and continue our expositional series and finish up, Lord willing, First Timothy 5.17-25. I want to give you that break because the topics that we're going to be handling are pretty heavy topics. Very, very heavy topics to the heart, to the mind. And so I want to be able to give you opportunity to think and pray and digest. And then after that, I have six sermons planned on, uh, for transgenderism. And the sermons on homosexuality, this, the, the sermon series that we're starting today, will unfold like this. The first series, the first sermon, has the title that you see on the screen and the question, why should the church even talk about homosexuality? I don't want to take that for granted, that that's an assumption that you all have in your mind that you see this as a legitimate topic to discuss from the Word of God. I want to convince you of that by the Scriptures and if the Lord will allow us to do that. The second sermon that I'm going to, to preach is called, What Does the Bible Say About Marriage? I think it's very important, very crucial for us to understand a biblical view of marriage before we talk about homosexuality or any other sexual perversion of the, of the design of marriage that God has given. The third sermon will be a question that says, does the Bible contem condemn homosexuality? Does the Bible even condemn such a lifestyle? 
The fourth question will then be answering homosexuality because there is a lot of effort that has been given over the last few decades to show how the Bible may accept homosexuality as a valid lifestyle. There's lots of arguments that are given from the homosexual community and those who even claim to be Christian homosexuals. So I'd like to look at those and answer those as well from God's Word if God will allow us to do so. And then the, the fifth sermon will be addressing the heart of homosexuality. What is going on in the heart of someone who practices that lifestyle? And how does the Word of God give that person hope for becoming a person who is, who is honoring to the Lord? And then the final sermon will kind of be a summary. We'll take all that we've learned and, and we'll ask, what can we do to apply these things in the body of Christ? We need to apply what we have learned in the ministry of the body of Christ. The goal of this whole series, both of the series that we'll look at with, with a biblical view to sexuality, both of these series, the goal is to equip God's people with God's Word so that they can think God's thoughts after Him and speak God's truth with God's love. So the person primarily that I'm talking to is a believer. And that's the goal of preaching in the body of Christ ultimately is to equip the believer, to equip you who are born of God to be able to know how to communicate God's truth in a way that is clear and accurate and bold and loving and compelling to those who have yet to receive Christ as Savior, no matter what sin they are involved with. And so that, that's the object of my, of my approach in this series. I will be uh, mentioning things to someone who may be struggling with homosexual sin or divulging themselves in that lifestyle completely. But primarily, I'm talking to God's people in this. So in order to accomplish this goal through this series, we'll be striving together to make some big picture connections. I want us to understand this from as broad a perspective as possible, and then we'll become more specific as we go. We need to understand homosexuality in the context of a biblical worldview. In the context of the authority of Scripture. Some very important things we need to understand. Very foundational things that are often overlooked in this discussion. In this, in this topic of teaching. We need to see homosexuality in the context of the image of God in man. And the glory of God. And a biblical view of marriage. And Certainly, God's law and the Gospel. So we're going to be looking at those things as we go. I want to encourage you, as we begin this series together, as we go through it, will you pray for us all? Will you be faithful to pray? Would you be faithful to pray that, that, that the Lord will lead me as I continue to, to give these sessions and, and think through these things to care for our church family? Would you pray for all of us that we would, we would have understanding and passion for God and His glory in this? And I would encourage you also, please, I ask you to faithfully pray, but also faithfully attend. Faithfully attend to the gathering of the local assembly. These sessions are going to build on one another. And as you, the more you miss, the less it will make sense to you. So I will do my best to make these sessions clear and helpful to us. And as the Lord enables me, I will do that. And also, I want you to know up front that I will do my best to be discreet in what I say, especially for the sake of children in our assembly. This morning, I want to give you 
five reasons why the church should and even must talk about homosexuality. I want you to understand that when I say homosexuality, I am also referring to both male homosexuals and lesbians. So I may use that word and include everyone in that word. Some professing Christians may feel that this issue doesn't need to be addressed in the assembly of believers. Or they may even feel that it's inappropriate to address this issue biblically in the assembly of believers or during a Sunday morning sermon series. Other believers may feel passive about this issue and uninterested. And so I long for all of us throughout this series to understand why it is immensely important today, in this day, in our community, and in, in our world, why that, that, we, that we think biblically and talk biblically about homosexuality. There's so much at stake here for the church and for the world and for even the homosexual. So five, five answers to this question. Why should we talk about homosexuality? My, why must we talk about this in the body of Christ? The first reason that I want to share with you this morning, and we'll look at different Scriptures as we go, and you can certainly follow along in your notes, is number one, because the truth of God's Word must be known. The truth of God's Word must be known. We have to understand that God has revealed His objective truth Through His Word, the Bible. What is objective truth? That's an important question in this conversation. What is objective truth? Objective truth is the absolute, universal, unchanging reality about any particular subject or matter and that truth And that truth that we're talking about here can't vary or become subject to change by individuals. There is truth that is universal and unchanging about things in the world. And it doesn't change. It doesn't change. God's Word, the Bible, tells us what objective truths we need to know. For example, about God Himself. The reality of God, the universal reality of God doesn't change. There is one God and He is the way He is. And He's revealed Himself and that doesn't, that's not subject to change, right? We don't vote about who God is. He is who He is. God has revealed objective, universal, unchanging truth about creation, about men and women, about marriage, about sin, about judgment, about Christ about salvation, about everlasting life, God has revealed these issues as objective, universal, unchanging truth. Everything that is vital for us to know about life and godliness, God has revealed to us in His Word, the Bible. The Bible is our foundation. It is our frame of reference. It is our final word as we talk about things such as homosexuality. And this word we call the Bible, it is inspired. It means it's breathed by God. It is God's very Word. It is inerrant in its original manuscripts. It is free from error. It is infallible. It cannot fail in anything that it says. 
It is sufficient. It is sufficient to answer the needs of the Christian life and the human life. It is absolutely authoritative because it is the very Word of God. Let me give you some Scriptures and please turn with me to these. The first Scripture I want you to look at is Psalm 19. I want you to understand the nature of God's Word as we begin this. Psalm 19, in the first six verses, the psalmist records under the inspiration of the Spirit the glory of God in creation and how that reveals the glory and the nature of God. Then in verse 7 he says, and look carefully at this, this, this is the nature of the Scriptures from which we gain truth. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. These are all different words that describe the Word of God. It's sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the, rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Psalm 12 and verse 6 says, The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. The Word of God is absolutely pure and free from error. Jesus Himself stated in John chapter 10 and verse 35, The very end of the verse, Jesus clearly stated the Scriptures cannot be broken. They cannot be proven false. They cannot be proven in error. They cannot be broken. John 17.17, Jesus said, Sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. And how do we know that God's Word is true, that it is pure, that it is all of these qualities that it says, that it says of itself that it is? Because in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, we remember that Paul writes here, describing the Word of God, all Scripture, verse 16, 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is breathed out by God. And because it's breathed out by God, it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And he, notice its sufficiency here. In all that it does, it, it gives us all that we need that the man of God may be com, com, competent, equipped for every good work. Because the Word of God is what it is, the very Word of God, without error, infallible, authoritative, that is why the Bible is the source of universal truth and absolute unchanging reality. We don't have to wonder or look outside of the Scriptures to find out what God has said about reality. He has told us what reality is in the Word of God. God revealed objective truth. The objective reality to us is His Word. Now, here's the next step I want you to take in your mind. Homosexuality is the result and the consequence 
of the suppression and rejection of God's objective truth. I'll say that again. Homosexual lifestyle is the result and the consequence of the suppression and rejection of God's objective truth. Do you ever sit back and wonder how society got where it is with reference to its sexual behavior? We see things that happen on the news. We hear things from others and we like, how, how did we get here? You ever wonder that? As, as the Western civilization, how did we get here? How are we accepting and promoting the sexual behavior that we do? And here's the answer. There was a time in history, in the history of Western culture, when many of the leaders of society believed that objective truth and reality was revealed and explained in God's revelation, the Bible. There was a time hundreds of years ago. But over time, our culture rejected the Bible as the source of objective truth and replaced it with human reason. That exchange was made because man's human reason could allow human sinfulness when the Word of God would not. So human reason or human rational power became the assumed and recognized path to discovering objective reality, universal truth. But that philosophy didn't adequately allow for human inability and error in that process of trying to discover truth. So when the reason of men contradicted each other, human reason was rejected as the path to discovering universal truth. But what came in its place? Over time, our culture abandoned human reason as its source of objective truth, and eventually our culture began to believe that truth was relative to the individual. Discovering and understanding truth is believed by many to be a futile exercise altogether. Yeah, there might be a truth out there somewhere that's universal, but there's no way we can discover it. And so each person is encouraged to embrace for themselves whatever they think is true for them. We're so used to those terms now. Well, that's true for you. This is true for me. This works for you. This works for me. And don't let's not contra- let's not uh, get at each other for that. Reality is no longer universal, but unique to the individual. And so that is how our culture began to embrace as acceptable and even praiseworthy such lifestyles as homosexuality. We we don't. We don't care to have the Bible tell us the definitions of marriage. I can find out what marriage is by looking it within myself, and, and I can discover what fits and works for me when it comes to marriage. And that's what it is for me. You see? That's how the drift happened. Our culture has moved from God's revelation to human reason, then from human reason to individual relativism in their approach to truth and reality. So homosexuality is the product of that way of thinking. Homosexuality is the result of the suppression and rejection of God's objective truth. And this is actually very clear in Scripture. Will you turn with me to Romans chapter 1?
Romans chapter 1. Look at verse 18. Verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Notice the next phrase. God's wrath is upon all kinds of men for all kinds of unrighteousness, and it describes those men by their behavior. Those men who, by their unrighteousness, because of their sin, they do what? They suppress the truth. They push it down. They squash it away. They don't want to understand it. They don't want to look at it. They don't want to recognize truth. And God has made that truth plain to them. What what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. The first place that God has revealed His truth is in creation. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. So the, so the, the nature of God, the image of God, the glory of God is clearly perceived by every human being who can perceive it ever since what? The creation of the world. In the things that have been made. So that they are without excuse. Now, this section of the Scripture starts off clearly to show us that God's wrath is poured out upon all sinners because they sin, and as they sin, they suppress the truth. Now, what kinds of sins and behaviors result from that kind of suppression of truth? Look at verse 26. And we'll come back to this text in weeks ahead and look more carefully at it. But notice verse 26. Here's what happens when sinful human beings, and all of us are born sinful, when you suppress truth, when I suppress truth, here's here's what happens to a society who is used to suppressing truth. For this reason, God gives them up. Verse 26. God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. You see? When a society chooses to suppress the truth of God, they head down a path of depravity that the holy God must judge. And his judgment is that he gives them up, verse 26 and the first part. He gives them up. He gives them up to dishonorable and destructive passions and behaviors, one of which is homosexuality. Homosexuality is the result of the suppression and rejection of God's objective truth. And so here's here's the point of this. Since that is the case, then for the homosexual or for any other sinner for that matter, the path to living in conformity with the will of God for man must begin with the proclamation and the teaching of God's truth as objective reality. That's where it begins. You've got to go back to, to ground zero. Each person who has embraced this postmodern mindset of relativism, including the homosexuality, including the homosexual, must reject the very foundation of their beliefs and behaviors. They must reject their relativism for the revelation of God's Word as the source of universal truth and objective reality. 
Because the Word of God, the Bible, has spoken clearly about these things and is the source of objective truth about, about all of these things, we must talk about homosexuality in the church. That's the number one reason. So, it is a call to repent from seeing ourselves as the source of truth and embrace God's Word as the source of universal truth, objective reality. So why must we talk about homosexuality? The first reason is because God's truth must be known. Second reason this morning, number two, because the living God must be glorified and worshipped. The living God must be glorified and worshipped. Homosexuality corrupts the image of God or God's likeness in human beings. It corrupts that. Sin corrupts that. Homosexuality corrupts the image or likeness of God and man whom He created to bring glory to Himself. Look at Genesis chapter 26. Genesis chapter 26. I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Listen. Listen to verse 27 very carefully. So God created man in His own image. Look at this. When God created man or human beings in His own image, what did He do? In the image of God, He created him male and female. He created them. When God created human beings in His image, He made male and female in relationship. And God blessed them. Look at, look at the purpose here, verse 28, of God creating male and female in His image, as His image in His likeness. God blessed them and He said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You see, you see God's plan for His image bearers to be male and female living in relationship and His purpose for them is to be fruitful and multiply and have dominion to extend His reign, to, to live in, in His glory, to, to live for His glory, reflect, reflecting His glory. And you get down to verse 31 and you see that God saw everything that He made and it was very good. You see, God uniquely created man and woman in a perfectly designed relationship to be His image bearers. To live like Him and bring Him great glory by living as the loyal caretakers of His creation. But, again, the sin of homosexuality is the rebellious refusal by men and women to live as God's image bearers and for His purposes. Look at again, back at Romans 1. Romans 1, verse 21. 
For though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Look at verse 23 carefully. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity and to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. To pursue homosexuality is the sinner's rebellious refusal to live as thankful and joyful image bearers of God. They're throwing away their God-given purpose to embrace a foolish, futile purpose. That's what the text says. They had this futility in their mind. It's, it's, it's a rebellious refusal to live in human relationships as God designed them. They're throwing away God's design for marriage and reinventing their own. It's a rebellious refusal to live for the glory of God as His loyal caretakers. They're, they're throwing away the blessing of God to be fruitful and multiply and, and live in the blessing of God like that for selfish gratification of an impure desire. And homosexuality not only exchanges or or corrupts the image of God and man, but it also exchanges the worship of God for the worship of a created thing. Exactly what the text says. Look again, verse 22. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Verse 23. And then verse 24 as well. Therefore God gave them up. Verse 25, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. And look what the result of all that is. God gave them up. Verse 26, to dishonorable passions. Women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Men likewise. The act and lifestyle of homosexuality is to exchange Worshipping the glory of God for worshipping created things. Like themselves, like their own bodies. And the act of and lifestyle of homosexuality is to exchange the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the, the eternally blessed Creator. And you know, for the homosexual to live life in such a slavery as this text described, this degradation, it's truly heartbreaking. You, you see, and, and we'll look later on, and how this text plays out. It's heartbreaking. The loss and destruction for them is horrific. But listen, the greatest travesty in all of this is not the loss to the homosexual, but but that God is not being glorified and worshipped as He deserves. That's the greatest travesty in all of this. The eternally blessed Creator deserves to be worshipped by His creation. You read just through Genesis 1 and you become overwhelmed at God's goodness and generosity and all that He's done for us to to know Him and love Him and enjoy Him. 
He deserves to be worshipped and served and loved and enjoyed and thanked because of who He is. And this is again why the church must talk about these things. Our God must be worshipped and served as He deserves. The church must talk about this because homosexuals must be called to re-exchange the lie that they have embraced and take the truth instead. They must be called to re-exchange the pursuit of serving and worshipping a creature and instead serve and worship the God who made them and gave them life. And you know, God brings about that re-exchange, that salvation, that conversion in the life of any sinner through the hearing of His Word proclaimed by His people. That's how God normally does it. Now, before we think that homosexuality is the only sin that that is guilty of making such exchanges, you just look down a few verses and you see a list of other sins. Gossips, verse 29. Or back up, verse, verse 29. Unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. You see, we have to understand too that homosexuality is just one sin among all sins that exchanges the worship of God for the worship of self. Every sin is a choice to worship a created thing instead of God. Every sinner has made the exchange. All of us have. And were it not for the grace of God and someone that God used to speak His Word to us, we would still be making that that damnable exchange and living in the lie. So this is why we must talk about homosexuality in the church. Because God desires to save homosexuals. And He must be worshipped and glorified by them as they turn from their sin and begin to worship and serve Him alone as their blessed Creator. So why must the church talk about these things? Talk about homosexuality? Number three, because the role of the church must be fulfilled. So first, because the truth of God's Word must be known, because the living God must be glorified and worshipped by His creatures. Third, because the role of the church must be fulfilled. Turn back to a text that we just looked at in the last few months, 1 Timothy 3. Verses 14-16. through I want you to remember these verses. This is the role of the church in the world. 1 Timothy 3.14 says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. Notice, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Speaking of Christ, Paul writes, He was manifest in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. What are we called to be in the the world as the church? The pillar and buttress of the truth. That means God has given to us the solemn and sobering responsibility as we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. He's given to us the responsibility to keep the truth to guard the truth, to keep it from being perverted. We can only do that by His enabling, but that is our calling. And only to keep it firm and founded and and unperverted, but also to proclaim it in the world. That is who you are. You are 
the pillar and buttress of the truth. There is no other entity, dear ones, listen to me, there's no other entity or organization to which God has assigned this task. You realize that? If we don't do it, who will? Who will? We are called to hold firm and hold high the truth. And we're called to make disciples. Turn with me to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, you know, too often we begin reading the Great Commission in verse 19. That's usually the reference you remember, right? Matthew 28, 19, and 20. We, you have to erase that from your mind. Start at least with verse 18. Look what's in verse 18. And Jesus came to them, His disciples, and He said, look at this, all authority on in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Don't miss that part. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Christ. And on the basis of Christ's authority, go. Therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Make disciples. The great authority of Christ has has called us and empowered us as He speaks this. This is our role. This is our calling. Go. Make disciples. There's no limit concerning to whom we must go to make disciples. Jesus said, who, who are we to go to? All nations. There's not one person that would stand before you and say, well, no, I'm I'm not going to try to seek you to make you a disciple. No, we are to make disciples of all nations. Well, how do we do that? We baptize. In other words, we call for converts. We call for people to turn from false religion, to turn from from pleasing themselves, to follow Christ as their new head and Lord and King. And we teach. We teach them. We teach them. That, That is the substance of discipleship, to open the Bible, to sit across the table with someone and to teach them the truth. To observe everything that I've commanded you. Everything. There's nothing in this book that cannot be taught in discipleship. Everything. That's who we are. That's why we are here. I, I cannot underscore this enough. Do you see that as your identity and role in your very existence in this world? Do you? As the church of Jesus Christ, is that who you are and why you live in this world? We do all things for the glory of God, but God has us here, now, in this time, in this place, to make disciples. And we have no excuses for this, dear ones. Jesus has been given all authority. He is the sovereign Christ. He is our Savior, our Shepherd, our King, our Head, and He's commanded us this. And He has empowered us by His protection and provision. Remember, He isn't lying in the grave anymore. He is risen. He is ascended. He is seated at the right hand of God. He is ruling and reigning as King of kings and Lord of lords. And He has put His Spirit within you to accomplish this very thing. 
and His authority and power is at work over you and in you and through you. This is why the church, the true church, will never ever bow to any government mandate to forbid supporting or speaking for the conversion of a homosexual. We can't. We won't. That's what we do. That's who we are. For any sinner, sinners just like us, we make disciples, we teach the truth by a higher authority than the government. We do it by the authority of Christ, the Creator. And we need not fear the backlash, dear ones. We need not. We are to teach the truth and trust in Christ with the outcome. We are to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and trust our faithful Father to provide all that we need, even if the world seeks to take it from us. you understand? This is Christ's Word to us. So this is again why we must talk about homosexuality. The truth of God's Word must be known. The living God must be glorified and worshipped by His creation. And because the role of the church must be fulfilled about this. Number four this morning. Because the pressure from the world must be resisted. A few Sundays ago when I announced that we were going to have a series on these issues, I mentioned to you that there was a bill recently passed in Canada. And I want to read to you a section of that again to remind you of the seriousness and the closeness and the urgency of, of this issue. Bill C, I want to quote to you from the letter of a pastor who is a Canadian. Bill C4 passed through the House and the Senate without opposition. Not a single dissenting vote was cast by any member of the Conservative Party. It received what they call royal assent on December 8th, which means it will come into law after January 8th, 2022. The bill will amend the criminal code in Canada to ban conversion therapy. It will criminalize, among other things, quote, causing another person to undergo conversion therapy, promoting or advertising conversion therapy. In the preamble of the bill, it says that the belief that heterosexuality, cisgender identity, cisgender gender identity, and gender expression that conforms to the sex assigned to a person at birth are to be preferred over other sexual orientations gender identities, and gender expressions is a myth. According to Canadian law, as of January 8th, 2022, the belief in God's design for marriage and sexuality will now be seen as a myth. The Bible defines conversion, or the, I'm sorry, the bill defines conversion therapy as, quote, a practice, treatment, or service designed to change a person's sexual orientation to heterosexual, to change a person's gender identity to cisgender, to change a person's gender expression so that it conforms to the sex assigned to the person at birth, to repress or reduce non-heterosexual attraction or sexual behavior, repress a person's non-cisgender gender identity, or repress or reduce a person's gender expression that does not conform to the sex assigned to the person at birth. The definition is intentionally broad and can be clearly and can clearly be used against any preacher or elder who speaks against homosexuality or transgenderism 
or who counsels a person to obey Christ and abandon their homosexual transgender actions and lifestyle. This means as of January 8th, 2022, it will be against the law to preach, teach, or counsel regarding God's design for marriage and sexuality. Quote, again from the bill, everyone who knowingly causes another person to undergo conversion therapy, including by providing conversion therapy to that other person, is guilty of an indictable offense and liable to imprisonment for a term of not more than five years. Similarly, everyone who knowingly promotes or advertises conversion therapy is guilty of an indictable offense and liable to imprisonment for a term of not more than two years. End of quote. That just happened this year. That's right next door. You say, well, that is right next door. It's not our country yet. I have something else to share with you. This past week, I, I heard Steve Viers. I don't know if anybody's heard of Steve Viers. He's a pastor of Faith Church in Lafayette, Indiana. And he talked about an ordinance that is in the works in La- West Lafayette, Indiana. He describes it this way. I'll quote Steve Viers. West Lafayette City Council was planning to propose a brand new ordinance called 3121 is the, the number of the ordinance that was aimed at unlicensed counselors and it prohibits conversion therapy among minors. And if any unlicensed counselor does that, there is a threatened fine of $1,000 per day. What was amazing about that, for one thing, an unlicensed counselor. That was stunning. But as I started to read what they were proposing, they weren't really talking about conversion therapy, and that's really the game here. They have defined it so broadly that it would include a parent, a teacher, certainly a counselor or a pastor, who would even open the Word of God and show a young person what Scripture says about the church's 2,000-year-old principle of chastity and singleness and fidelity in a monogamous marriage. End quote. There's Ordinance 3122 at work right next door. Brothers and sisters, listen. Very soon, such ordinances and bills will be at our doorstep. It's coming. It's here. How do we understand this then? And how do we respond to government pressures like this? And we've seen more and more of this kind of thing from government overreach over the last years. They've gotten very comfortable with such such behaviors. You see, the role of the government is to uphold the law of God and reward those who obey it and punish those who violate it. Romans 13 makes that very clear. But what we see here, dear ones, is that the government is creating laws that reward and protect those who violate God's law and punish those who seek to uphold God's law. It's the very opposite of what God has designed for government. And why is that happening? Here's the ultimate reason. This is the work of Satan and his demonic army to deceive and destroy men and women who are made in the image of God. Do you realize how much Satan hates the image of God? And hates the glory of God? He's doing everything he can to extinguish both, which he will never do. But he is using the authorities of this world whom he holds in his power to accomplish his diabolical end. He has spawned deceptions that convince men and women to create laws to protect 
He has spawned deceptions that convince men and women to create laws to protect sins that will destroy them. And that's one of the reasons why Satan has picked those sins to make laws over. Because it destroys people. Homosexuality is one of those sins, and we'll talk about that in a few moments. And this deception to promote homosexuality and protect those who practice it from conversion, it reaches beyond government. It has already begun to reach into our schools and even into our homes. Listen, the Epic Times had a story about some moms who protested sexually explicit literature in their public schools. For example, there were two books found in the library of a public school in the United States, one of them called Lawn Boy. It's a, it's a young adult novel written by Jonathan Evison who explicitly depicts a sexual act between two fourth graders. There's another book that she found in the library called Gender Queer, a memoir. It's a graphic novel written by cartoon, written cartoon style, and it tells the story of a non-binary author, Maya Kobabe, from adolescence to adulthood. And the book shows images of a, a pedophilic act. That's in American schools. Think about it this way. There are so many children's books and movies that have probably gone through your shelves that you're not even realizing even promote this ideology. For example, I have a a children's book. It's called A Green Place to Be. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of that children's book. It's a children's picture book about the development of Central Park in New York City. It's written and illustrated by Ashley Bentham Yazdani. And it gives an illustration of a homosexual and lesbian couple being married in Central Park. See, what what the idea is, is that the agenda wants to put these pictures in front of your eyes, in front of the eyes of your children, to get you used to all of this. That this is normal life. This is the way way God meant things to be. There's a book that that, that our family has had, and I remember even reading it with my oldest child. This is years ago. It's called Everywhere Babies. So simple and harmless, right? Written by Susan Myers, illustrated by Marla Frazee. It has illustrations of homosexual couples in the book. You start turning the pages and you're like, I can't believe this is in here. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. There's two Disney movies that, that I've watched in the last couple of years that slip in this, this suggestion of homosexual couples. Toy Story 4. I know you all know that, that movie, right? Onward, if you've watched that. Both introduce homosexual couples in a positive light to the suggestion of children through entertainment. And likely all of us, if we, if we haven't already, will learn of co-workers and friends and neighbors and family members who are homosexual or promote the homosexual agenda and who will or may even try to manipulate and convince us or even our children into accepting or even embracing for ourselves their sexual lifestyle. So how do we respond to this? Must we think about these pressures? How must we think about these pressures from the world? We must think about them in terms of 2 Corinthians 10, 3-6. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, 
but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of Christ and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Listen to these verses. You see, the world promotes their ideology, just like I said, through ideas, right? Through philosophies, through mental strongholds, if we will. And we cannot resist those efforts through some physical, temporary means. We are called in this text to resist and destroy arguments by taking them captive to the knowledge of Christ. That's how we resist the pressure from the world. And the Word of God, the means, the knowledge of Christ, the means by which we dismantle these arguments and speak the truth in love, they have divine power to destroy those strongholds of thinking. This is what God has called us to. Ephesians 6, 10-20 again reinforces this idea. We are to be strong in the Lord in the strength of His might. To put on the armor of God. To stand against the schemes of the evil one. We do that by taking up the armor of God. So that we can stand. We, we stand with truth. We stand in the righteousness of God. We stand with the gospel of peace. We speak the truth in love. We take up the shield of faith. We, we arm ourselves with the hope of salvation. The Word of God. We pray. We speak boldly as Paul talks about in verse 18. You see, listen. We, we are not called by Christ in, under the pressure of the world to simply bemoan what we are losing in this country. That's not our calling. We are not even called by Christ to exposit and argue the Constitution of the United States. That's not our calling. We are not called by Christ to pour our time, energy, and resources into making short-term political changes. That's not our calling either. We are called by Christ to preach, to proclaim, to teach, to speak, to communicate, to write the truth of Christ and the Gospel so that men and women will be changed from the heart, and delivered from the domain of darkness. Don't confuse the weapons of the flesh versus the weapons that have divine power. You see? The weapons that have divine power are those that dismantle satanic arguments and mental strongholds and lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of Christ. We must then resist those pressures in the means that God has provided to us and called us to employ. This is what we're called to do on every platform that God gives to us. Speak the truth of Scripture. Speak the truth of God's law. Speak the hope of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. There are no other efforts through which God has promised to produce spiritual change and eternal transformation in the lives of sinners. This is why the truth must be spoken about homosexuality. We're here to proclaim God's truth and to do that in the love of Christ and His compassion. Finally, the last reason this morning, why should the church talk about these things? The truth of God's Word must be known. 
The living God must be glorified. The role of the church must be fulfilled. Pressure from the world must be resisted. And finally, and thank you for listening so patiently, because the danger to homosexuals must be avoided. You realize how much danger is threatening the homosexual himself or herself? That, that we can offer escape to them? There are great temporal, physical dangers to someone who practices homosexuality. You see, people who are considering coming out of the closet and those whom the homosexual community is trying to feed their agenda are both told lies about the homosexual lifestyle. They are led to believe that the homosexual lifestyle is safe and satisfying. That's That's what they want you to think. I want to give you some plain statistics that will show otherwise. And, and I want to share these statistics with you. A, a dear fellow pastor has engaged the research for these statistics. And I also want you to know something about these statistics. They were given and, and uh, reported during the Obama administration, so not terribly long ago. These statistics are from the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration of the United States and the Department of Health and Human Services. And I have to say, before I read these, they're profoundly heartbreaking and even angering considering the lies that welcome people into this destructive lifestyle. This is dangerous. Men who have sex with men are 44 times more likely to get HIV than the general population. 44 times. Their chance of getting syphilis is 46 times higher than the general male population and 71 times higher than the female population. The homosexual lifestyle has been shown to result in decreased life expectancy by 25 to 30 years. Liver disease, which increases the risk of liver cancer. Fatal immune diseases, including associated cancers. For homosexual men, anal cancer at rates of 17 times higher than heterosexuals. Multiple bowel and infectious diseases, much higher rates of suicide. I'm sorry that you have to mention these things, but we must understand the truth of this. This is horrific. And, and what's even surprising about this in a way is that these statistics are reported by what was once the homosexuals' preferred party. Homosexuals and lesbians are, lesbians are two times as likely to have attempted suicide in the previous year. Homosexual and bisexual men are four times as likely to have attempted suicide during their lifetimes. 56, listen, 56% of lesbian or gay adults report experiencing of lesbian or gay adults report experiencing intimate partner violence compared to 17.5% of straight adults. How horrific, how heartbreaking, not only for us to read this, but for them, 
thinking that they're going to be safe and satisfied only to be abused. Does that sound safe and satisfying to you? Certainly not. And yet, those who would speak these those who would speak these sorts of truths about the homosexual lifestyle are considered the enemies of the homosexual community. We're not the enemy to unmask the lies and reveal the true outcome of such lifestyle and point the way to a true life and satisfaction in Jesus Christ. We're the friend. We are the friend who puts their arm around the loved one and clearly explains the disease so that the cure may be received. And this is again why the church must talk about homosexuality. We who have the Spirit of God living in us long and desire with the compassion of Jesus for men and women to be delivered from such a destructive way of life. Now, these statistics, as devastating as they are to hear, do not reveal the greatest danger to the homosexual and lesbian. There is an eternal spiritual danger that far outweighs any physical temporal danger. You see, dear ones, homosexuality is a sin. It is a violation of God's law that if unrepented of will result in eternal judgment. And the truth is absolutely clear in the text we began with. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. Those whose lives are characterized by continuing in sin, pursuing sin, covering sin, engaging in sin, without repentance, they're not going to heaven. That's what this text says clearly. They are not a part of God's kingdom. Paul says, don't you know, as if there's a bit of sarcasm here in the sense that he's like, this is obvious. This should be absolutely clear to you. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. The homosexuality is is one of those lifestyles. And in fact, when it says here, the men who practice homosexuality, it's actually two different words. One of the words refers to the active partner, the aggressive partner in the relationship. And the other word refers to the effeminate or passive partner in the relationship. But again, as you see here, that's not the only sin that results in God's judgment. There's all these others. Sexually immoral. It's a general word for for anything that varies from God's plan for sexual intimacy in marriage. Whether sex before marriage or or adultery. Idolaters. There's all of these thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers. All of us can find our place in this list. And this shouldn't come to a surprise to us, right? This is because God is holy and sin cannot exist in His presence. It's easy to be deceived about these things, right? That's what the text says there. That's why Paul says, do not be deceived because it's, it's so easy to be deceived about these things. The world, the evil one, 
Even so many so-called churches and our own deceitful hearts would try to make us think God is okay with us. God is okay with our sin. God is not okay with sin. From homosexuality to greed, God will judge sinners for their sin and refuse them entrance into His kingdom and sentence them to the torments of His eternal wrath. That's what the Scriptures teach us. And that's why we must talk about homosexuality. Because we long for sinners just like us to be rescued from the wrath of God just like we have been and given the gift of eternal life just as we have been given. The only way that any sinner, including a homosexual, can be rescued from eternal wrath from God is through the mercy and grace of God shown in the sinless person and saving work of Jesus Christ. And that's what we must talk about along with God's law and righteous judgment. And that's what Paul says in in the last verse here. He says, and such were some of you. That's that's one of the most precious statements of hope. Such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You people, Paul says, you people of Christ's church and, and, and God's kingdom, you used to be these things. You used to be sexually immoral. You used to be an adulterer, an idolater, a thief, a greedy person, a drunkard, a swindler, a slanderer. You used to be homosexuals. And God did a great mercy and a great work of mercy and grace in your life. What did He do? He washed you. He washed you. He did a deep cleaning in your soul. He set you free from slavery to sin and and the punishment of sin and the power of sin so that you began to hate your sin and love God's law. He washed you. He sanctified you. That means He loves you. And He chose you. And He set you apart for Himself. And He made you spiritually alive by living in you through His Holy Spirit. And He justified you. That means He legally declared you perfect. Guiltless. Sinless. Righteous. In spite of your sin. And He credited to you the perfect obedience and sinless performance of His own Son, Jesus Christ. Just as if it were your life. Just as if it were your behavior. And on that basis, He made you His child. Forever. Such were some of you. And He did all that for you because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. He lived an obedient, perfect life to God's law for you. He he died sacrificial death, totally satisfying God's wrath for you. He he rose from the grave to raise you spiritually and physically from the dead. And and He applied all of that to you through the Holy Spirit. He did that in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And if God can do that for me, then He can do that for you. And He can do that for any homosexual And He can do that for any sinner, just like Paul says. But the condition that God requires for this glorious transformation to happen is that you turn from your life of sin, any sin, right? See the list? Any sin. Turn from it. That doesn't mean you have to to, to get 
perfect before you come to Christ. It means in your coming to Christ, you are willing to abandon any sin. Let it go. Anything. And you abandon your own efforts to save yourself from God's judgment by your behavior because you can't and I can't. We can't impress God. We can't please Him in our own behavior. And you trust. You trust completely and only in what Jesus Christ did for you. You receive for your own salvation what Jesus did in His life and His death and His resurrection. And you rest in Him to gain acceptance with God and eternal life. And God promises to save and satisfy all who trust in Christ like this. And if by God's grace you trust in Christ, He will make you a new creation. A new person. And welcome you into His his kingdom. And His his joy and His unfailing love forever. Listen, 2 Corinthians 5 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Those who were, those who can say, this is what I was like, but I'm washed and sanctified and justified. Now, now you have the ministry of reconciliation. You can tell people this can happen to you too. That is Christ was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. So we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Dear ones, Church of Jesus Christ, we are ambassadors for Christ to say, God can make you a new creation too. Be reconciled to God. That's why the church must talk about homosexuality. Now, having given you these five reasons, I'm going to say one more short but most important word. Do not think for a moment that the conquest and final victory of Christ and His kingdom over over Satan and over the kingdom of darkness is somehow up to us and contingent upon our efforts or still to be determined. It's not. Dear ones, we do not speak. We do not walk through these five reasons to speak in order to win the victory. We speak because the victory has already been won. You realize that? You have to set this whole thing in that context. You have to. The eternal Christ has already conquered and been victorious. He is victorious over Satan already, over sin and over the world. His victories only have yet to be just realized by everyone in time. How do you know that? 
John 16.33 says, I have said these things to you, Jesus speaking, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The, the last word is yet to be said. And it's clear. And it rings throughout eternity. This word is the truth that sums up and supports all five reasons to speak about homosexuality that I've given you. If Christ were not already the conquering King, we would have nothing to say and no power to speak in behalf of Christ. We would have no hope to give to the homosexual or any other sinner like us. But because Christ has already destroyed the works of the devil, like it says here, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And He did it. Because that's what the Scripture says. For all these five reasons we've talked about, we can say to the homosexual or any sinner, come to Christ and He will set you free. Let's stand and pray together. Father, we we have just begun to think through these things. The need is urgent and You must be glorified. We pray that You would equip us as Your people to speak the truth in love. To speak boldly, fearlessly, clearly, accurately, and compassionately. Father, teach us. We submit ourselves to You and ask us, ask you that you would fill us with your spirit in the ministry of these things, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.